Welcome, viewers and listeners, to the Thinking Fans Premier League Podcast. Each week, we get together with our besties, who are current pro players, real coaches, academics, and stat heads. Today, we're joined by soccer analyst Harshal Patel. Also on the pod is professional footballer Dre Fortune, and I'm host Chris Mumford. Bella Chow. Harshel, you've been watching a lot of matches. Uh, what have you been up to otherwise? Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the the number of games we've been having over the last, I'd say, week or so hasn't really left too much time to do much else. But other than football, I've just been learning how to play the guitar, which has been, which, I've, which is something I've been wanting to do for a while. I bought a guitar sometime last year, but didn't really get around to um, sitting down and actually learning it properly. But now that because of the pandemic and the fact that we're mostly at home, I've been able to devote some time to that. So, yeah. So, are you going to be shredding on an electric guitar soon or are you going to stay focused on the acoustic? It is acoustic so far. And <laughs> the only thing that's probably going to get shredded is my, are my fingers because I'm slowly building up calluses. So, I'll tell you, <laughs> at the moment, those, that's the only thing that's happening. Those steel, steel strings, uh, yes. well kept secret, start with nylon strings. Um, Dre, what have you been up to over the holiday? Uh, nothing but training, really, Chris. Just, you know, some gym work, training with my dad and my brother, and uh, okay. playing a little bit of pickup. What does what does off-season training look like for a professional footballer like yourself? Um, well, for me, I, I try to get in the gym maybe three times a week or something like that. And uh, I'll usually double that up with training. I try to get a small group together with um, – couple like close friends and my brother and mm-hmm. my dad will kind of lead us through some technical work and finishing and stuff like that and just try to sharpen up certain aspects of our game and then uh i enjoy playing pickup every once in a while as well with some guys so just to stay a little bit sharp and, and keep playing and whatnot nice nice well i've been working finishing up my book on sports entrepreneurship um that's gonna be published by columbia business school press uh, and I'm just wrapping up on the uh, the analytics piece. I actually interviewed the uh, founder of Scout. Uh, that was really cool, Matteo. Uh, and then also uh, wrapping up the sports betting section, uh, where I interview a professional sports better in Las Vegas about how he manages his portfolio. So that's pretty cool. Well, we're gonna go ahead and get started with the pod. Uh, we are sponsored by the Premier League Guide. For those mad about football, it's Moneyball for soccer, opposition analysis plus eye candy. The current update is available on www.thinkingfanmedia.com and on Amazon. So during match day 15, we had a weekend littered with five draws with some drama, uh, particularly Arsenal, Chelsea and Tottenham Wolves. Big Sam returned with a thuggish marker against Liverpool that he is back. And Man City is quietly going about its business with another pedestrian win against Newcastle. But let's let's focus on the game that really kind of led the weekend off, which was that Leicester City Man United two two draw. Harshel, help us unpack that match. This, I mean, a lot of people were billing this game not as a title decider or anything, but maybe as the game that would. Um, give us a better sense of who the the title challengers for Liverpool could be in a, in a way. If that is the narrative you're looking for, then you didn't really get an answer because the game finished in a draw and it, it, it was actually quite even. But if you look at the game itself, I think um, United will be kicking themselves a little bit because they had, again, it, it's been a bit of a story with United uh, where they've not been taking their chances in a, in a few games and that has cost them. Um, sometimes they have act, although they have put together a very impressive run of form away from home. This this uh, game against Leicester was the first, I think, in um, uh, first away game this season that they've they've not picked up full points from. You know, they they drop points from, and they've actually come back from behind in all of those games to to win those games. Over here, they actually uh, took the lead, but then Harvey Barnes equalized. They took the lead again, and then Jamie Vardy equalized again, and. It was, again, I think uh, an, an issue. I would say that Marcus Rashford had a good game, but he could have had a hat-trick and he, and he didn't take his chances. Uh, there's, again, a worrying reliance on Bruno Fernandes, which could be a problem for United if he gets injured or suspended or he's rested for whatever reason. And I thought 
Vardy again just showed, even though he was not really involved in the game throughout, but that's not really his game. He doesn't need to be involved in the game for the full ninety minutes in terms of touches of the ball or or just you know linking up and all of that because he was in the right place at the right time for the goal, uh, for the equaliser that he scored, and that that basically boils down what his game is all about. Even though he is getting on in terms of age, he's still scoring. I do think United did defend didn't defend that phase really well. Um, there were uh, players didn't really follow their markers, and that and Wadi was able to get a bit of space in the penalty area, which you don't really want to give to a player like Wadi. Uh, but overall, it just seemed like a, a good example of where both teams are. You know, they have their flaws, they have their strengths, and all of that came to the fore in this game, and and they couldn't really uh, come out on top. You know, where what what my take is, Harshal is. It's almost as if the roles were reversed in that you would think the team that has less money would be sitting back, uh, maybe uh, only have the ball 45% of the time. But it's actually Manchester United that only had possession 45% of the time. And I'm really struck by, I, I really thought that Leicester felt more on the forefoot on this. And maybe that's a tactical decision. I, I just, it's still a bit of a disconnect for me to see a team with so much money play so seemingly passively. Um, I mean, Chris, not to, I mean, I think that could just basically, basically be down to the fact that Leicester were the home team and you generally associate the home team with being the more attacking side. And these are, I mean, as much as Arshel, this is Manchester United. Okay. As I was getting to that point. I was just getting to that point that as much as you would say that Manchester United, are expected to dominate possession. Yeah. I don't think that's the case. I actually don't think that's the case in the sense that United have shown that their strength and the soldier is playing on the counterattack. So he, uh, soldier basically tried to, to set up that situation here. Yeah, and, and I, I think what's interesting about Man United is the burden of its history, right? I mean, they're second or third in the league. Things are going pretty well. Uh, their commercial revenues are going pretty well, but they are so overburdened with expectations. And the the main story that, that didn't get enough love, as far as I'm concerned, is the old guys are still delivering, namely Vardy and Calvani, right? That assist from Calvani. He comes in for a little bit, and he does just enough to make the difference. Dre, what's your take on the game? Yeah, um, I kind of, first and foremost, I'd say I don't think Man U necessarily dominating possession is their strong suit at the moment. I think they've been flying on the counterattack, and that's when they seem to you know, create their best chances. Uh, I was very surprised by Rashford not taking a couple of chances. Uh, obviously, the header earlier on, and then, a big save from Michael. Uh, you know, you still expect Rashford to score that. But, um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I thought Manu would have probably won the game. Uh, I thought they were, in my opinion, a little unlucky not to not to get three points from the game uh, just based on what they created and, and their work through 90 minutes. But Leicester persevered, and this is – that was the first of two times this week that they, you know, come from behind to get a point out of a game. And I think that – they're always capable of doing that. I mean, they came from behind twice in that game. They're always going to, you know, linger and, and, and be in the game based on how they play. So, uh, yeah, no answers really is in terms of the top of the table and who's really going to challenge. But I think both teams will stay strong throughout the rest of the year. So I, I want to also give a shout out. Uh, I think Harvey Barnes did a fabulous, just a really remarkable job, particularly in the first half. And, you know, he's he is one of the best um uh, in his position in that he's in the top 20 in terms of successful attacking actions per 90, according to Scout. And we also have to give a shout out to the defense, Ndidi and Fotana. I think, uh, you know, they're uh, fifth and 12th in terms of successful defensive actions. And those, it was so nice to see Ndidi do his thing. Uh, and uh, Fofana is... It has been an, a, a revelation that's really unearthed due to injuries. So it's just, it's really nice to see that. And of course, uh, we do have to give the shout out to Juan Basaka, who is number one in the league in terms of def uh, successful actions defensively. Uh, so there were a lot of really interesting pieces that came together, I felt, for Leicester. 
uh, while as yet for Man United. They did what they, they needed to do. It would have been nice for Man United or Leicester to pick up the three points to get closer to Liverpool, but they had to settle for uh, a draw. So let's turn our attention uh, to um, the, the next game of interest, which is Arsenal-Chelsea. Um, Dre, why don't you help us unpack that game? Gladly. I will gladly do that. Um, yeah, I thought, I thought Arsenal, to be fair, I'll start with the three goals. I, I thought the first goal was maybe a bit of a soft penalty, but good work from Tierney, who's been solid throughout the entire year. He's been one of the bright spots of the team. Um, and obviously, Lacazette being on the score sheet is very nice to see. The second goal, Xhaka, who's been struggling in the eyes of the fans and, and the whole Arsenal community, really. I think, you know, well-struck free kick and happy to see him in a positive light uh, after so much, you know, losing the captaincy and, and all the issues he's had. Um, and then the third goal is a bit fortunate from Saka. I think, obviously, he's trying to pick out a cross there, maybe, but ends up in the back of the net. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it should have been four. And then he hit the crossbar. Chelsea just didn't look like they were like they were in the mood, I guess, on the day. They, they never really seemed to create much and, and didn't pose a true threat on, on the Arsenal goal, I thought, throughout most of the game. So it's happy to see a strong performance from Arsenal. And, and unfortunately, no clean sheet, but a uh, step in the right direction. And hopefully they can build on that. Dre, let me push back on this. Mm-hmm. Pens and some... A, a mishit. I mean, I would say this was probably the luckiest win of the entire season and possibly the entire calendar year uh, on this. I, I'm not sure that the result fully represented what the what the quality of the teams. Um, but hey, sometimes the ball bounces a certain way, and you got to take that because other days it's not. I mean, what, what's your take on that? Saying, well, Arsenal got just got lucky in this game. Well, I mean, I I wouldn't necessarily disagree with it. I think I think when you look at all the goals, that they were a bit fortunate. Um, but sometimes that's what you need. Sometimes you need that to kind of just add to the confidence and and get the guys together and and go in again. So, um, yeah, I mean, I I don't think any of the goals in particular were were well crafted team goals or individual efforts. But uh, you know, the ball ends up in the back of the net, and and it's three points at the end of the day. And I think. They'll be they'll be happy with that, and they'll be building off that, moving into the next game. Yeah, to Arsenal's credit, they scored three goals uh, w- against an XG of two point one three, and they did have seven shots on target. So um, there's something to be said to that. While Chelsea had two point five five, and were only able to capitalize on one. So I, I think there were some interesting pieces to that. Chelsea did do a heck of a job in terms of um, uh, duels. Uh, they won 55% of the duels. Uh, and I think that's a useful statistic to give some sense, even though I think that tactically you would see why maybe Chelsea may be in that position. Harshal, what's your take on the match? Um, yeah, I completely agree that the goals were obviously, um, and I tweeted about this as well, that there were freak events in the sense that it one's a penalty, the other's free kick, uh, the other's free kick into the top corner and Saka, you know, it's a mishit cross that goes in at, at the far post. But, I mean, Arsenal did play a lot better than Chelsea on the night. Uh, Chelsea looked off the races physically. They, I mean, the, st- the stats may say that they won 55% of the duels, but I think they were completely off the pace in terms of their physical intensity. They weren't tracking runners. There wasn't enough space being covered. And this is off the ball. And on the ball, there wasn't enough movement. There wasn't... Um, enough, uh, I'd say, imagination on the ball. And I mean, the fact that they went into the break 2-0 down, Frank Lampard made two changes at the break. One of them, I think, was actually a sort of, I wouldn't say a defensive change, but it was a, it was a necessity in that he brought on Jorginho for Kovacic. The reason being that um, earlier when it was Kovacic and Kante playing in midfield, Arsenal were able to absolutely make hay down their left and the Chelsea right because uh, there was no... Uh, sort of support or defensive cover being, uh, I wouldn't say cover, but there was no def- defensive support being offered to Reese James. So Saka and if Emil Smith Rowe was drifting out to the left, Bukayo Saka, Kieran Tierney, they were all able to absolutely, you know, ravage down Chelsea's right and flank. And he, Lampard actually made that switch. So that Jorginho then came into the base of midfield and Kante went out to the right. 
of that three-man midfield also. So then there was a bit more protection given to to Reece James. And I thought, and we've been crying out for Arsenal to play with a natural playmaker. They did that in this game with Emil Smith-Rowe, who started, I think it was only a second start in the Premier League. He's, uh, and his earlier start, uh, his only other start, I think, was about a year or so ago, maybe. But... Uh, He's he's what he's 19 years old I think and he and he played really well he he linked midfield and attack which has been one of the major problems with Arsenal in the sense that there's not been enough connection between the midfield and attack but ha- playing with a natural playmaker in that role rather than a converted winger in a, in Willian for example the, the you could see the difference that that makes that Emil Smith played really well he was able to uh, uh, you know and he was also drifting across the flanks he was he was Combining with Martinelli on the left, Saka, all these, and I thought that that all three of them—Saka, Martinelli, and Smithrow—played extremely well behind Lacazette. So we've been calling for Arteta to trust the youngsters. He did that to an extent in this game, and hopefully that that will continue, and we'll be able to see those guys sort of, you know, if not drag Arsenal completely out of the mess, they they should be able to provide enough energy and enough dynamism, I think. For the senior guys, then for the likes of Xhaka, Aubameyang when he comes back into the team, Lacazette, maybe even a Shabayos, Bellerin, all the experienced guys, they can then maybe also raise their levels and get Arsenal back to a, a, a more sort of recognizable position on the table. But yeah, I thought those three, Saka, Martinelli, and uh, Smithrow played really well. So I'm not the type to um, second guess uh, managers substitution decisions, but gosh, it would have been nice to see Giroud come in against Arsenal. I, I think he probably would have had a little extra powder. And it's just, I'm, I'm going off the, that along with, I, I just feel like there's a, there's a role for uh, older strikers when you need to unpick a lock, give, give them a go. Though I will say Abraham had a magnificent game and he did score towards the end of the game. So um, there's can't take um, uh, uh, can't take anything away from that. Um, so um, and, and it was also uh, really nice to see, um, you know, defensively uh, what was going on with um, with uh, Chelsea and the fact that Reese James and and Chilwell, you know, are are doing very well in terms of being very forward and, and creating um, dangerous opportunities. They're both in the top 20 in terms of successful attacking um, actions per 90 uh, amongst defenders. Um, so, yeah, so that I, I felt that that was uh, probably a, um, an outcome that um, I, I guess it feels balanced. Now I, 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 I don't get the sense that the top, Teams are really wanting to are able to stick it to Liverpool and pick up some points. Trey, what are you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, that's proven to be the difficult part. Um, obviously, Liverpool's been been top for a while now in terms of you know when they play Chelsea's, Man City's, Man U's, whatever. Um, that's that's really what they're. I mean, they're going to have to figure that out, obviously. But at the end of the day, that's that's six points. I mean, they they need to figure out how to beat most of the teams below them and really get their points from there. And then uh, I think in the past, at least it's been not losing to, to top six opposition and beating everyone else. That's really been, I guess, the formula for, for having success in the Premier League. So teams are starting to struggle with that a little bit as we see their, you know, drawing with likes of Wolves and, and Everton and stuff like that, who aren't really considered top six teams. And when you start lo- drawing and losing games like that, I think, you're always going to fall off the pace and fall behind, but right. Well, so I guess looking at some of the other matches, um, Fulham tied Southampton, which I think uh, is a, a positive spot for Fulham and a bit of disappointment for Southampton. Obviously, Aston Villa dispatched Crystal Palace three zero, even with a red card, uh, and Man City had a pretty just run of the mill two zero um, game over Newcastle. Uh, Everton was able to squeak out three points uh, with a one-nil uh, victory over Sheffield United. Um, the Leeds United and Burnley game had some interesting elements to it. Harshal, can you help us unpack that game? Obviously, the 
there was a lot of um i mean focus on on refereeing and and again var and all of that in this game and we can get into that later but leeds have struggled against teams which sit back in a low block this season and i thought that that was the case to a large extent in this game as well i mean yes bamford did score the penalty but that's somewhat i mean i wouldn't have been surprised if this could have been if you know had there not been a penalty i wouldn't have been surprised if this would have been a, a nil nil game in that sense because uh burnley were actually quite solid even though i mean they did let up let up i think it was 10 or 11 shots in the game there were only four of them which were on target from leeds they had they outshot leeds in fact so it was uh just another example for me of the fact that i'm not saying that this is and there has been a lot of debate around leeds playing style and many sort of in the football community who haven't seen leeds a lot over the last two years and this is the first time that they're seeing bielsa's uh, sort of style of play they believe that this is not the best way for the uh, for them to play and that they'll get relegated which i think is ridiculous because i mean it's not as if people think that being pragmatic means being defensive no being pragmatic is just simply playing in a way that best suits the players at your disposal and also is the most sensible way for you to play and given that leeds have been uh under bielsa for over 2 years now given the fact that this squad has mainly been unchanged like the the, the core of the squad is the same as which he took over so they've had a lot of time to assimilate his methods and his style of play the physical demands it puts on on the on the team all of that is now ingrained into these players so there's no point in them suddenly switching to a different style of play or going defensive or or you know doing anything other than what they've been doing so far because it's it's clearly it's worked you know they've gone from a sort of mid table championship side to winning the championship and coming up into the premier league and competing with some of the biggest teams right so i mean for some reason the critics were out after this game after this particular leeds burnley game even though they picked up the win in the sense that this is not sustainable and that they could get relegated if they uh, they don't tighten up and all of that but i feel that this is exactly the way they need to keep playing this is the way they this is the style of play that is best suited to the team and to the manager and we they might obviously they they're not a top 6 top 17 we will see them struggle in games we will see them lose games but i think they'll survive relegation comfortably and that was probably the first and uh, most important objective for the team so yeah i think that'll happen so my take on the match was it was just an absolute mess is <laughs> what it was i mean in the first half in the beginning you had leads in 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 good form and doing their thing but the second half was just just mayhem and interestingly enough and i still haven't been able to figure this out is that you know burnley got super front footed where it's like wait a minute burnley did not play the way burnley plays right and leeds did not play the normally the way they normally play i think that has to do more with sloppiness than anything else uh or just general chaos you know i i do find it interesting there's all this talk about leeds and and relegation and leeds is 4 points away from chelsea who spent 222 million over over the transfer window leeds budget is about 22 or 23 million in in payroll total so they're 19th out of the, out of 20 sheffield united only has a smaller payroll and they're they're at 11th in the in the league right now or 11th or 12th and they're seven or eight points away from the relegation line so i just i i feel that um if i have to Well, and we'll get into this later. If I have to watch games like what West Brom did against Liverpool, I'm not going to watch those games, right? Those are just dreadful, absolutely dreadful to watch. And at the end of the day, football is about entertainment, I feel like. You have to win, and I know that Big Sam's got all the right incentives and we can get into that. But what what my take is is I feel like Leeds uh you're right. They need to stay true to their identity and they eked out a win given that they've tied man city they've lost against all the other uh, top 6 they're 3 and 3 against mid mid table teams and they've won against teams that are um ranked lower than they are 
that to me sounds like a pretty recipe, a good recipe for a first year in the Premier League. So, um, um, Dre, you had you had some comments about general kind of the refereeing uh, that that was clearly, or many would argue that it's clearly a mistake. Um, and as a former goalkeeper, I would say. Yeah, that's probably a foul on the goalkeeper. You can't run in the air, knee someone in the back, then drop the ball. <laughs> but fortunately, he had a, a good lucky whistle at the wrong, the the right time for Leeds, wrong time for Burnley. What, what's your take on on that, Dre, and just generally, kind of the state of officiating? Um, yeah, I mean, I think in that situation, if you're playing for Burnley, you're always going to feel hard done by. Um, I've watched it a few times over, and I don't, I don't see the issue. I don't, I don't see the foul there, but. Um, I think that's, that's part of the game as I've grown up. That's always been a part of the game. The referee's human, just like all the players on the field, uh, human errors involved in the game. That's always going to happen. And it's just something that you kind of live with. And I think now, um, with VAR in particular, like being introduced and being used in so many different ways, it's, I think it interrupts the flow of the game sometimes, but, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it's, if it's worth I mean, I see some offside calls and see some brilliant goals denied by, you know, a little line that's being drawn on the, on, on the field. And that kind of, it discourages me a little bit because like you said, football is about entertainment. And sometimes, you know, maybe a guy's foot is, is offside, but that's just, that's just the way it works on that day. And, and uh, as someone who, who plays, I obviously you want the referee to get everything right in your favor, but you understand that that's never going to be the case. There's always going to be, you know, a few decisions that go your way, a few decisions that don't. And I personally just preferred it that way, as opposed to getting some of those to be quote unquote, hundred percent right. And, uh, and some of those not, but I guess it's part of it now and just kind of have to have to deal with it. Right. So I did want to mention briefly the West Ham Brighton uh, game, which was two, two. And I consider that a, almost a win for Brighton. Um, Harshell, in the past, you've said they've been a, a bit hard done, uh, or certainly the unluckiest, uh, as measured by XG. In, any thoughts on that match? I mean, you, you can still make a case for them being unlucky, but there's a point at which it stops being unlucky and it starts becoming your own inefficiency or your own inability to take those chances, right? Because, mm-hmm. um, yes, obviously there is a bit of luck involved in terms of scoring goals, but given the fact that you're creating chances and you're not taking them means that either your strikers are not good enough and they're not taking those chances, which is, I think, the case for Brighton because um, Neil Mopé is a very good forward, but he's not sort of... And I mean, you don't really expect Brighton to have an elite-level centre-forward because if they did, he'd have been bought by someone else by now. But Neil Mopé is a good forward, but he's not really made the jump yet to being a top-class or even, say... Of good Premier League centre forward yet, Danny Welbeck is good, but he's obviously past his best. He's he's not exactly the player he was even five years ago, six years ago or so. But and then you know, though, if those are the guys leading the line, you can't really. I mean, I, I'm not surprised that they're not taking too many chances. But from West Ham's point of view, actually, there's, we should be mentioning the fact that. Uh, they they've they've gone under under the radar a little bit, although they are sort of seeing a bit of a, a blip in their results now over the last few games where they've lost a couple in the last five. But before that, they were they actually picked up a few very good results and they were towards the top six, top seven. They've dropped down to tenth at the moment in the table, but I think they're doing well. David Moyes is doing extremely well with the players he has at his disposal. There's been um, an injury to to I believe it was Arthur Masuaku who's been injured now, which has so basically West Ham were playing with a back three with Aaron Cresswell playing as left centre back and Masuaku at left wing back, which and that system was working really well for them. But because Masuaku's picked up an injury, he's had to go back to a back four with Cresswell moving across to left back, and I'm not that may have coincided a little bit with the with the dip that they're seeing. I'm actually also really surprised that he's been playing Mark Noble at number 10 in the last few games where West Ham are playing 4-2-3-1. He's been, and Mark Noble has barely got a kick in the league all of the season because Suchek and Rice have formed such a good partnership in, in, the, met, uh, in the West Ham midfield. But we, I don't really see 
Mark Noble as a number 10. I don't really see him as good enough for the league anymore to be honest. And mm. that's fair. He's 35, I guess. But I don't know why he's playing as number 10 to be honest. I don't know why Moyes is playing in there. He's not he was never the most creative player. He's always played in deep lying midfield roles. So I am looking I'm going to look and see if he changes that if he brings someone else in. But yeah, as you said, good point for Brighton because they hadn't been picking up points even though they were playing well and West Ham I'd say they maybe got a little unlucky in the sense that because Brighton obviously equalized towards the end of the game. Uh but yeah, both teams more or less where you'd expect them to be in the table right now, I guess. Right. Trey, let's talk about Liverpool West Brom uh where Klopp described West Brom's formation as a 6-4. Um What's it like playing against teams that really pack it in like that? And then what's your take on the game in general? Uh, it's it's difficult. It's tough. Um, obviously, you know you want to have on you want to have the ball, and you will have the ball in those games. But um, yeah, they make it very difficult to to break them down and to create chances and to score goals. But at the end of the day, when when you're a team like Liverpool and you do so well at home uh, or just in general, I don't. I don't think that you should expect any, anything different. I mean, teams are not going to come there and and you know just be open for you to run through them and 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 go score. So I'm not necessarily surprised, especially considering you know the position that West Brom is in and they're they're looking for points and they'll do whatever it takes to get them at at this point. Uh so yeah, I mean it's a little bit frustrating, but I think you know Liverpool's first goal was it was a well-taken goal and then they they can see to a set piece again which has been foiling a lot of the big teams recently um Chelsea's conceded to set pieces Tottenham's conceded to set pieces as well everyone does it but i'm saying you know those those seem to be how they're conceding some of these crucial goals that that they need to keep out so um yeah i think i i think West Brom came with a game plan as most teams should and they executed it how they would have imagined and they left with the point Harshal what's your take on the match um I'd say this was uh I'm sorry you'll need to I have completely lost my train of thought Chris. Uh so Liverpool and West Brom my take on it is it's unfortunate that we have to watch games like this. Uh, I mentioned this a little bit earlier. Um the incentives are totally for West Brom to stay um up and uh so they're incentivized to to snag a point even if that means uh keeping all 11 of your players underneath your own 30 yard line um uh, and um you know S- Sam did exactly what he was advertised to do uh big Sam Allardyce that is and you know Liverpool in the second half didn't seize its opportunities um like it could have they seem to have stepped their um their foot off the gas pedal i, I am worried about uh the injury to Matip uh you know it's it, it really is challenging the depth chart in in ways that I don't I don't know if it's ever been done or seen in in terms of a top 6 team in the Premier League and yeah in terms of uh, I'd say Matip he's actually been quite injury prone if you look at his yeah. career overall even during his time at Liverpool last season as well he wasn't available for large chunks he was not available for a while this season he's come back and he's gotten injured again he actually set up the goal right he stepped up from sort of defense and played that ball through to mane and they will struggle without him but i think in the second half of the game actually west brom were a lot i mean it's relative they they were completely defensive in the first half but they they became a little more attacking in the second half they actually i think had more shots on target in the second half uh and they were maybe pressing liverpool a little bit more and a little bit higher up the pitch and liverpool weren't able to sort of cope with it i, I wouldn't say cope with it but they were not as fluent as maybe they were in the first half so they probably drew the chances they got in the first half and they didn't take them mm-hmm. and west brom were able to sort of get away on a counter and score a goal and that's basically what you will get with sam allardyce that ability to sit back and defend and i mean if you go away to liverpool and you're open you could concede three or four goals and the game could be over but they just conceded one and they stayed in the game till about late in the game and they picked up a goal and picked up a point and that's what allardyce will do he will 
keep you in games till late on where i mean it'll either be goalless or there'll just be a goal in it and that always gives then your team which is obviously in this case west brom it gives them the chance to pick up a point or maybe even pick up a win with a smash and grab like that so i expect to see more displays like this especially against the big teams but i'm into, I'll, i'll be interested to see how he plays against say the likes of crystal palace the likes of burnley newcastle the other teams towards the bottom half of the table but yeah it's it's a good positive start for them especially since they lost their first game on dalladays last week right trey what's your take on the, on the wolves tottenham match you know tottenham they, they they started well they started really strong uh i believe in in dalladays goal was deflected right i think there's a little deflection on on the no, shot no, it through. looked like it was a deflection but it was it it wasn't it was a clean strike okay. but he was unsighted the keeper was basically okay unsighted. okay Yeah, I mean, uh well, in that case is more of a well-taken goal than than I initially imagined, but yeah, um those th- those are the games that we were talking about with with Spurs in terms of how they'll play um whether or not they'll they'll sit back against against teams who like to do that themselves and um I think these two teams are teams that are probably going to compete for those like, you know, fourth, fifth and sixth spot in the Premier League and uh they they've both left for the pool. point from this one so nothing really to separate them there but we'll just see what we'll, we'll just see how these teams continue to progress and, and push forward for the rest of the season i don't really think there's anything that we can leave this game from with you know any any new information for example uh about how they're going to go about their business yeah i i have to say i i was just so impressed with wolves i i don't know you know i know that they've got a a decent sized payroll not huge but they they're always in that kind of Europa contention. So I think f- points per dollar, they have to be one of the best in the league. And it's the fact that they're doing this without Jimenez and, and good news, Jimenez uh, it, it was able to visit. And, and that's, that's a really positive um, step. And I just, I, I'm amazed at how they're able to kind of keep it all together um, despite the difficult run. And a lot of times they're just one Oh, wins or 1-1 draws and that's kind of and but that being said the style of play is 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 fun to watch so uh really really enjoy and shout out to um to to the wolves um so just jump in that chris yeah just a little bit on spurs there because this again we've as jay mentioned we've spoken about this earlier as well where spurs i thought they got the early goal and they just sat back and the belly sort of you know try to score yeah. another and that that's come back and you know haunt and 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 haunted them now again for the i think it's the third game in a row so they they dropped points against palace in a similar manner and they actually lost the game against liverpool because they didn't take at although in that case it was a case of them not taking their chances the other games it's been a case of them not really even trying to score a goal or or you know trying to create chances and if you sort of break it down if you look at spurs season so far they scored 15 goals in their first five games in the league mm-hmm. which included that 6-1 win over united they beat uh, I, i believe they beat leicester or, or they scored five against leicester if i'm not mistaken i think the sort of the penny drop with mourinho in terms of this shift to a much more defensive uh tactic or lineup with that game against west ham where they were leading 3-0 and they sort of conceded three goals in the last 10 minutes to draw 3 all that was that last game of that five game run i spoke about where they scored 15 goals in the 10 games since then they've scored just 11 goals so you can see that that's a huge drop off from going at three goals a game you're going at just over a goal a game so that i think is one of the biggest issues here because i think mourinho's sort of pulled up the handbrake a little bit i mean i i think it's not necessary against teams like wolves or palace yes understandable that you sit back against a liverpool or even a man city but you don't need to do that against teams like palace or 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 uh, wolves you know and that's what is costing spurs points and that's what is we were talking about spurs being potential title challengers just about i'd say a month ago and they they've dropped off considerably since then i'm not saying that they can't challenge but they'll need to start winning these games if they want to challenge and for that they'll need to attack because they have the players you've got kane son you've got steven bergwijn uh M- lucas moura can uh, uh play 
uh, games here and there. Eric Lamela has come back from injury. Dele Alli is on the bench. And then in midfield, you've got the likes of Lo Celso and Ndombele who are brilliant in terms of creative output. So, I think it's just a case of Mourinho needing to trust his team and maybe let them off the shackles a little bit if he wants them to compete for the title. I don't think there's any competition for the title anymore, to be honest. I know it's early still, but I mean, when you look at the... You look at the layout of the table, they're on 26 points. City and Villa are tied with them, and they both have a game in hand. Uh, Menu's above them with a game in hand. So I don't know. It, look, it looks a little bit... I mean, I imagine those teams will start to, you know, kind of... Well, maybe not Villa, but City and, and Menu will kind of stretch the gap a little bit. And I think I think Spurs is probably about where they'll, where they'll end up. Yeah, I, I, w- I wouldn't argue with that. I mean, I think this is probably statistical noise, but... Of the folks in the top six, Everton did win quietly. Aston Villa won, and Man City's in eighth, but they did win again. They're just a point off from being in the in the top four. Um, so, you know, I've I've I see I've seen a lot of ties. There are four ties this this weekend. Uh, it's Monday. We've got two more ties in the making. Kind of six ties in three days. There's going to be a fair bit of uh, squad rotation. I wonder if if finally we're kind of hitting the hangover period for the Fast and Furious football. Harshell, any notes on on the league standings or this hangover where we're going to see some squad rotations and possible some dips in, in, qual- in quality on the pitch? Yeah, that's basically what I think we've been seeing as well, right? Earlier, the, earlier today, um, the Leicester Palace game, which... Also, as you said, was one of those games which was drawn. We saw a lot of rotation from both managers. Jamie Vardy didn't start, for example, for Leicester. A bunch of other players didn't play across both teams. Uh, Even for Chelsea, um, Aston Villa, which has just ended and it's ended in another draw, one all. Villa didn't really rotate. And I'd argue that they've not really i mean i can understand that to an extent because they've actually played two games fewer than the other teams in the league and they don't have european commitments and they're not in the carabao cup and all of that so they've not really maybe had as much of a physical load as the likes of chelsea with european games and the various cup competitions chelsea did rotate uh i do expect as you said you know teams will rotate have they definitely will need to rotate because they're playing three games of this or four games of the space of uh two weeks or so maybe or or a little more than that so um especially given the fact that we've had a disrupted uh preseason and and teams are already physically sort of behind where they should be at this time of the year we will see rotation and as you said that will lead to a drop in quality to an extent on the pitch which i think then could potentially lead to more draws or if not draws i'd say that don't be surprised if there is a, a, a a shock result or two over the next 10 days because that that is bound to happen. You know, teams put out players who've not really played a lot with each other. There's cohesion takes a hit and against some opponents that could be enough to give them a chance to score and all of that can happen. So yeah, I think that's what's going to happen over the next two weeks or so. So let's, let's turn our attention to uh, some upcoming matches in the next few days. Uh, some matches of note, uh, regulate relegation battlers Brighton playing against Arsenal. Uh, Dre, what's your take on what's going to happen in that game? Well, hopefully, the hope is that Arsenal kind of builds from their their last performance against Chelsea, and they go into the game confidently. And I think if they do so and they do what they're supposed to do, I, I, I believe they walk away with three points quite easily. Um, Brighton's Brighton's had some decent performances through the season, but. Uh, like we mentioned earlier, they you know had been struggling to score some goals. So I think I think Arsenal will comfortably win that game, maybe maybe two zero. Two zero Arsenal. Harshal, what do you have an opinion on that? I think obviously Arsenal will take a lot of confidence from that uh, win over Chelsea, and they it, it could be one that goes either way to be honest. Because yes, as I said, they will take confidence, but there's still a lot of work for Arsenal to do. You know, I think if Mikel Arteta sticks with the team or the youngsters that he played with uh, against Chelsea that I think they should have enough to beat Brighton. So I'd, but not by too much. I think it might be a 1-0 to Arsenal. Yeah, my sense is, is it's going to be a 1-1 match. Uh, I am looking for Brighton to kind of 
regress to that proverbial mean uh, and see what happens and Arsenal to regress back to its proverbial mean, I suppose. Um, Southampton, West Ham, uh, Harshal, any any thoughts on that match? Southampton have, again, uh, one of those who were sort of contending towards the top of the table or for Champions League spots and all that. But And in fairness, it, it is quite tight below Liverpool because it's, what, four teams separating, uh, sorry, four points separating second and ninth, you know. Southampton are the team in ninth with 25 points. Leicester are second with 20, sorry, Southampton are in ninth with 25 points and Leicester are second with 29. So there's a four-point gap between seven teams there. So again, and to be honest, West Ham are just, you know, three points behind Southampton in the table. So, uh, West Ham, uh, sorry, Southampton are, again, probably going to be without Danny Ings. He got injured a couple of games ago. And the other guys have been stepping up in his absence, even as they did in his earlier injury-enforced absence. So, Theo Walcott, Che Adams, um, Stuart Armstrong to an extent, Nathan Redmond to an extent, they've all stepped up and shared creative and goal-scoring burdens pretty well. So I'm expecting to see that continue. Although I will say that Southampton do have a, a very sort of fixed first 11 in that sense. Hasnutl doesn't really change to, uh, around uh, too often or too much. That's also to do with the fact that they don't have too many options and there is an issue with squad depth. So I'm interested to see as to how that that plays out over the next few games because they will need to rotate. Otherwise, uh, injuries are just around the corner. With regard to West Ham, um, as I said, they've they've been quietly sort of pretty good this year, this uh, this season, Def- especially defensively. And that's a testament to David Moyes and his coaching because under previous managers, West Ham were an absolute joke defensively. They would they would they were like a sieve, you know. They would just Keep up giving, uh, keep giving up goals. So that side of things has improved. He's improved their goal scoring to an extent as well. Um, so yeah, it'll be an interesting game. As the table says, they're pretty close to each other. So I expect that to play out as a draw. I don't know the scoreline, maybe one all, but I do think it'll probably be a draw. Uh, okay. So what do you think? One one two two. Maybe a one all. Yeah. Yeah, I, I suspect it's probably going to be a one all match. I, I know that uh, they had some. Uh, Southampton had some injuries on Saturday with uh, some of its key defenders. Uh, so I suspect that um, I, I can't imagine them coming back. Maybe they can. I, I just checked the injury wire and didn't see anything new. Um, Dre, any thoughts? You want to put your hat in the ring on what you think the score of that game's going to uh, be? Yeah, I, I think I agree with the with the one one shout. I think when we talk about you know this time period and the amount of fixtures and squad rotation, I think Southampton for me is one of those teams that will be hit uh will be hit hardest in terms of where they're competing in the Premier League right now and and um you know the teams around them are probably more well well not probably they are more suited or better suited for this kind of time period because they have a lot more depth in their squads. So I think the likes of Southampton and Villa will probably struggle over the next week or two and, and it'll be interesting to see how they make out in terms of their results. But yeah, I think 1-1 for this game. Okay. Uh, what, what do we turn our attention to the Man United Wolves game? Harshal, how, how do you think that's going to uh, unfold? United, again, they've been putting together a decent run of form uh, in the league. And even though, and I think uh, now that you, do you look at, if you look at the table now, I think a point against Leicester is actually a decent result, even though when right after the game, there were a lot of people and me personally as well, I thought United maybe should have won the game and that it was two points dropped. But in the context of the fact that Liverpool dropped points, um, Chelsea dropped points, uh, you know, uh, City were the only sort of uh, Spurs dropped points and then City were the only one who picked up a win in terms of if you would think the traditional uh, challengers for top six, it was actually a good point gained. And I expect them to carry that form or at least that that sort of run of wins and draws or that unbeaten run in the league against Wolves because as much as, yes, Wolves have shown resilience and, and they are a very good team, 
they do lack something without Raul Jimenez in terms of a, a proper goal scoring presence. And as much as uh, Pedro Neto and and Daniel Podence are huge prospects, they're not. I don't think it's fair to sort of expect them to carry the goal scoring burden. And it certainly isn't from Fabio Silva, who's just 18 and in his first season in English football. So I do expect, obviously, the game to be close. That they'll compete and. Wolves have actually given United a bit of a tough time since they've been promoted uh, in the uh, in in, ter- in the games that they've played against each other. But United should probably just scrape this one. I'd say a two-one win for United. Okay, uh, Dre, what's your take on that one? Yeah, I think um, given United's home form recently, and uh, I've liked I've liked how Wolves have performed as well. But I think Manu just has more quality. They'll probably have more of the ball in this game, which I don't think will play to their strengths necessarily, but I'm predicting it'll probably be 1-1. Maybe somebody scores a winner in the last five, 10 minutes of the game. But uh, yeah, I'll call 1-1. 1-1. I, I think it's going to be a, a 1-0 game. And um, I think I'll go Man United on that one. Uh, they just, the quality of, of the team and how, emaciated wolves are now uh, as much as I admire their pluck. Uh, so, yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll see, see how that goes. Um, there are some other games of note over the weekend um, to have a, uh, though I'm not sure if they're going to happen. Chelsea, Man City. Um, we know that Man City uh, Everton match was canceled because of more positive COVID uh, responses. So I would probably bet that game isn't going to happen, which is unfortunate because that was going to be really a, a nice anchor uh, for a holiday weekend. Uh, and then we've got the Southampton-Liverpool uh, match, um, uh, which could have some, some fireworks to it. And it'd be interesting to see how um, Liverpool bounces back against a quality team after playing. They will, have to, they will play uh, Newcastle on Wednesday. So, um, so yeah, so I think we're going to leave it there, uh, gentlemen. Um, we are sponsored by the Premier League Guide, Moneyball for Football, Opposition Analysis Plus Eye Candy. The current update is available at www.thinkingfanmedia.com and on Amazon. Join us for our next Thinking Fan podcast. For now, bella ciao, bella ciao, ciao, ciao. 